Uh, brothers and sisters, because the proclamation of the word and the proclamation of the gospel and good news is not uh, something that I'm doing and you're not, we're doing this together, I pray the Lord be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence among us, and I pray that we would be able to hear what it is that you're saying to us today. Lord, address each and every one of us. Uh, Lord, make these not abstract theological facts, Lord, but make them true realities uh, that you're speaking into our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you draw us into communion with you and with one another. Help us to do that today together in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Friends, today, listen, we proclaim this good news, the good news that from the beginning, the God who is love has been creating the world, this world, as his temple, as a temple for where we can be at home together with him, in communion with God, each other, and all things. Though we are alienated and disconnected from God and each other, we feel that. Though we are uh, longing for communion and we don't know how to find it, though we are compelled to fill this aching sense of loneliness by any means possible, by consuming God, by consuming things, by consuming people, nevertheless, in Christ, God has permanently joined himself to creation and communion has been restored. Through the Spirit, God meets us right where we're really at and invites us into communion with him, with each other, and with all things. Amen? Amen. That's the sermon. That's the sermon in brief. Um, but how does this text kind of uh, proclaim where, where we've been? As Matt mentioned earlier, we have been in this series called Beginnings and Endings. This is the third part. Uh, the first part, we introduced the series by saying God is love from beginning to end. There's no asterisks in God's love. There's no caveats. There's no footnotes. God is love. From beginning to end, we can trust it. Last week, uh, the second part of this series, we talked about how God creates life out of chaos. He takes the chaos and the darkness and the desolation, and he, and he orders it, and he forms it, and he brings new life to the chaos of our lives. And today, we're proclaiming uh, this good news of, like, what is creation? What is this that God has done? What, what is this stuff that we're made of, that we, that we touch and smell and see and taste every day? What is this stuff? This stuff is God's home. Creation is God's home. He created the whole universe as a house for him to live in with us. Again, I feel like I could sit down. That's the sermon. <laughs> there we go. That's it. Um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's kind of a little-known HBO series that um, Deb and I watched uh, a little while back called The Leftovers. Um, <clears throat> It's an, it's, don't, kids can't watch this show, okay? So just caveat there. But uh, in this series, The Leftovers, uh, there is a... Um, at, at the beginning, I didn't really want to watch it because it felt like a, a rapture story. You know, it was like, it's like, is this like a weird like, rapture story? Because here's the thing. Uh, the, in this series, it follows this family, the Garvey family, three years after this mysterious event called the Sudden Departure, where 2% of the world's population just disappeared. We literally just disappeared. And three years after this event, nobody knows what happened. These people are just gone. Uh, nobody, nobody really understands what happened. And it's three years after this event, and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff has happened, as you could imagine. An event like that would create all kinds of anxiety. Um, and all kinds of stuff in the show, all kinds of stuff is happening. Um, the cults have started up, right, to try to explain and give people a sense of belonging. Mainstream, all the mainstream religions have declined because they can't, they don't have any answers. They don't know what happened. and no, nobody, can, nobody can really talk about it. It was October 14th, 2011. And following that event, all of these crazy things started 
happening. There's, and there's a cult that features prominently in the show called the Guilty Remnant. And uh, the, <laughs> yes, that, and that's kind of what their, their proclamation is, is that like we got left behind because we're guilty, right? Um, and so uh, the first season revolves around the Garvey family, their acquaintances in this fictional town of Mapleton, New York. Uh, Kevin Garvey Jr. is the chief of police. His wife, Lori, has left him and joined the guilty remnant. And so there's this separation that's happened in their communion, right? Uh, his son has gone off to college. Tommy's gone off to college. There's a separation that's happened as Tommy goes off to college and gets involved in some, some weird cult stuff there as well. And his daughter, who's still at home, is acting out, uh, partying, drugs, drinking, things like that. And so there's this separation that he has from his daughter, and it centers on Kevin Garvey, the chief of police, who's trying to keep the town together, this small town, right? These crazy things keep happening, and he's trying to restore order to the town, and his family's falling apart. He's got, he's got you know, his wife's joined a cult, and his daughter and his son, and he, he's alone. And the, the show kind of follows uh, the Garvey family, and, and, you know, so for example, one character in, in, this, uh, in this show lost her entire family in the sudden departure. Um, so what are the odds, right? They keep coming back to that phrase. What are the odds that I would lose my husband and my two kids in this event that only affected 2% of the world's population? Um, the whole series is about this. The whole series is about the loss of connection, the loss of communion, and the attempt to try to regain it. That's what joining a cult is all about. The attempt to try to regain some sense of meaning and purpose and communion and belonging in my life. getting into a new relationship, being, you know, friends, partying with your friends, all of that kind of stuff. Eventually, the Garvey family moves to Jarden, Texas, this town in Texas where nobody, the myth is, nobody was lost in the sudden departure. And so they go to this town, and there's all kinds of people. There's a fence around the town now because everybody's trying to get into Jarden. Why? They want assurance that this isn't going to happen again. Every relationship that gets formed in this series starts to become this, this, this locus of anxiety because they think, what if it happens again? I don't want to give my heart away to somebody who's just going to disappear. And so they're trying to you know, go to this town where nothing, nothing bad has happened, right? Nobody disappeared. Maybe there's something about this town that makes people not disappear. But even when they get there, the whole show is about, uh, this isn't Shangri-La. This town isn't the place where we... Don't experience a loss of connection. The whole, the whole series is about, hey, let's try to regain some sense of connection and how hard it is and how it, it's, it's almost impossible from the perspective of the show to regain the sense of communion and connection uh, with each other. So I'm trying to encapsulate uh, one of the most haunting TV shows I've ever seen in my life in a little you know, snippet. So it's hard. But I, I'm trying to convey to you this feeling and that's the feeling it still gives me. That's what I mean by I feel haunted by this show. So I still have that feeling of, oh, this loss of connection, this loss of communion, this aloneness. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to reach out and connect with anybody. Can you feel that? Do you relate to that? Is that familiar to you, this longing to be seen, for somebody to know who I am from the inside? This longing to be known, to be touched, to be received, to be welcomed, to be accepted, to know it's okay for me to be here. Do you guys know this? you guys familiar with this? Well, today we proclaim this good news that from the beginning, God 
the God who is love, has been creating this world, the one we live in, the one we are, as a home for his presence, a place of communion for one another and with God and with all things. Though we are alienated and disconnected from God and each other, we long for this communion. We don't know how to find it. In Christ, God has restored this communion because he has permanently joined himself to his own creation in the incarnation and has said, I'm not willing to be God without you. I'm not willing to build this house without you. I'm inviting you in to be part of this temple that I've created. So how does this arise out of this text? Uh, Let's examine this briefly and then we'll respond uh, in prayer and all kinds of other ways. Um, We've been talking in beginnings and endings about uh, Genesis, and Genesis didn't fall out of the sky, right? It didn't fall out of the sky. God said, folks, if you'd like to know some facts about how how everything began, here it is. That's not what Genesis is for, and that's not, not what Genesis was. Genesis was written in a context for a reason. And we've talked before a little bit about uh, that, that context, um, and it was uh, primarily written for people who were in exile, people who'd heard stories about what happened at the beginning and how the earth was formed out of the gods fighting with one another, right? So the, 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 the predominant cosmology that people had in their minds was the gods in various stories were fighting with each other and like creation was kind of birthed as this accident that came out of violence. And it's fairly meaningless, and the gods eventually created humans to serve them because they were lazy and didn't want to work. So into that milieu, Genesis comes and says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everybody thinks, okay, I know this story. Uh, But then it starts to change things, doesn't it? And it starts to give you a different vision for what, who God is, and who we are, and what creation is. And the different vision is God created the world intentionally, not accidentally. And God created the world in love and pronounced it good. It's not an accident. It's not bad. It's not a byproduct of something. God did it on purpose. And today we want to talk about what creation is. Because in the ancient mind, creation was, again, dirty, kind of like filthy. It was like this accident. It was something that should not be. It was something that came about uh, as the result of violence. And so... This is another thing that, that, that happens in this narrative. We see in this first uh, creation narrative, which is interesting and beautiful, and I loved hearing uh, Andy and Carmen read it today. God creates the heavens and the earth. Notice that phrase. That's an important phrase. There's, there's, he creates the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, there's the new heavens and the new earth, right? And so the heavens is God's space where he lives, and the earth is our space where we live, and they overlap. God created the heavens and the earth. We live together with God in creation, right? And so he he creates these containers, and then he fills them, right? He creates these spaces, sky, land, and sea, and then he puts stuff in them, right? Let there be fish, birds, livestock, creepy crawly things. And then eventually he puts his own image there. And we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, but that was a shocking thing to the ancient mind as well, because in the ancient mind, who's the image of the gods? Who's the image of God? The king, Caesar, whoever's on the top of the heap is the image of the God, which means I represent God to you. You can basically treat me as a God. But this story, who's the image of God? Everybody, right? Everybody is an image of God. We'll talk about that. I can't get too excited about that one because we have to talk about it in a couple weeks. But everybody's an image. So that's, that's one of these things about the story, right? It's like, what? Male and female? Image of God? What? 
What's going on there? We can't talk about it today. But here's what we can talk about today. Uh, (laughs) Why? What is all this for? What is God doing in all of this interesting and beautiful kind of filling of creation with all this stuff and with his image? Um, It's written to combat those old stories of what this stuff is by, by, by basically changing it. So they assumed that creation was this accident born of violence. Yahweh says it's good. Um, and another thing that they would have assumed in the ancient world is that, where do gods live? I mean, take a guess. There's no wrong answers. Where do, where do they live? Top of, Top of the mountain, right? Or temples. They live in temples, right? So we build these houses for these gods, and they come and they, they dwell in them. They're like, okay, fine, you built me a house, I'll come dwell here. This is where you can meet with me, this is where you can sacrifice to me, this is where you can come and we can talk. If you got any business to do with the God, where do you go? Go to the temple. And so in the ancient world, and we can get more into this in our Tuesday class, okay? I can't, I don't have time to get into why this is so. But in the ancient world, they would have heard the creation narrative as God's seven-stage creation of a temple for himself. And that's what it means when it says that God rested on the seventh day. It doesn't mean he's like, whew, that was hard work. Uh, I'm going to watch the game. Give me a beer. No, he, he doesn't, that's not, God doesn't sort of like do this project over here and then say, woo, that was hard work, I'm going to take a load off. What that means that God rested is the same kind of phrase as, you guys know in the Old Testament, um, this phrase, like, God gave David rest from all his enemies, right? So there's this two stages in the kingdom, in the, in the establishment of the kingdom of Israel. One is fighting for the establishment of the space, Right? So David is a man of war. He goes to war to fight off Israel's enemies, and he creates space, and finally all the enemies are are fought off, and he has this space. It's the land where God lives, and he says, God gave David rest. Now, what does that mean? Did David just, you know, watch football games for the rest of his life, right? No, it just means he now gets to get around to the the real reason that that you created this space. It's ruling and reigning. It's being with your people. It's living life out. Does that make sense? So the whole creation narrative is basically showing us this is God's seven-stage creation of a temple for himself where he is going to be with his people in communion with them. And they're going to be in communion with each other and we're all actually all things are going to be in communion. The whole universe is God's temple that he created for him to live in with us. That's the, that's the basic revelation of it. It's the construction of this temple. And this is all through the Psalms. Um, Here is Zion, my resting place, God says over and over. And then, of course, we see in the, uh, the Holy of Holies, the Garden of Eden, God sets up his image, Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, to represent him and to multiply the goodness of this space throughout the whole world. So God creates in love, it's not purposeless violence, and what he creates is good, not chaotic. His image and representative isn't just the king, it's everyone. And here, the temple we built for God to live in, this is what the ancient mind would think. Oh, we built a temple for God to live in, but he doesn't actually live there. He lives everywhere. He lives everywhere. Isaiah 66, the prophet uh, gets in on this when he says, he's speaking for God, and he says, heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Where's the house you're going to build for me? You understand that's a rhetorical, advi- rhetorical device. He's not actually asking, 
Are you going to build me a house? He's saying, what kind of house can you build me? I built one myself. I have my own house that I built for you and for me to dwell in. I don't need you to build me a house. I built my own house. It's called the universe. And that's the good news. This is where God lives. This universe. Not far away. Not somewhere far off. He's not, he's not a long ways away. He's not a long time from now. He encounters us here in this universe through flesh and blood, through dirt, through play, through touch, through eye contact, through speech. This is how God is among us and how we connect and commune with one another. God's already built himself a house, and creation is for, what's this house for? So what that he's with us? What's it for? It's for communion. You see God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Isn't that fun? I I love that image, an evening walk. How'd the day's work go, guys? What are you learning? What's happening? They were made for communion, and again, we'll talk more about this, male and female, he created them. We were made for communion with one another. We were made for communion with God. Creation is for communion, and communion happens through creation. That's what this world is for, for communion. We belong to one another, and we belong to God, and we experience that belonging through creation, not in spite of it, through it. And communion, I want to define this term a little bit. Communion uh, isn't just sort of being in the same space as somebody else. You guys ever been in a room with somebody that you're mad at? <laughs> it's not communion, right? Communion is more than just being in proximity. Communion is mystical. It's a sharing of life. It's a deep sense of connectedness to, it, to the other. It's being seen. It's being known. It's being heard. It's being touched. It's the experience of knowing someone else from the inside and the feeling of being known from the inside. Empathy is a good example of a move in this direction. When we begin to actually experience the feelings of somebody else, the experience of somebody else, it's a move in the direction of communion, experiencing life from someone else's perspective. This is what life is for. This is what people are for. This is what all of creation is for. We were created for this. And it's meant to flow vertically, we could say. I don't like putting God up there, but you guys understand what I'm saying. It's meant to flow vertically and horizontally. It's meant to flow into heaven and into earth. We're meant not to just have communion with God by our blissful individual selves, and then we do whatever we want with people around us. Likewise, that's not it. Uh, Likewise, we're not just meant to sort of be with each other and forget about God. That's called idolatry when we try to make somebody else into the object that can give us what we need. But it's together. Vertical and horizontal dimensions uh, together are what communion is. And this is living. It is what life is all about at its core. Communion with God, with each other, and with all things. So, of course, it goes wrong, though, right? And we'll talk about this in future weeks as well. But it goes wrong. There's this thing in, the, in Genesis 3 called the fall. We'll talk about what that means and why that happened. But essentially this, it did not proceed beautifully from there. We refuse to stay in communion with this God. Our communion with God is disrupted and we hide from him when he comes looking for us, right? Where are you? We hide. This communion's been disrupted. We feel shame. We want to cover ourselves. 
We don't want to be seen and known by each other anymore. When God says, what happened? What, what's going on? We start to blame and accuse each other, right? The man and the woman begin to accuse the other of, well, it's her fault. It's his fault. It's that serpent, right? You can just see the fracturing of this communion beginning to take place. And then there's a fracturing, actually, of the communion with, you could say, the earth. That now the earth doesn't cooperate when we try to get plants out of it anymore. There's a, there's a fracturing of a communion that was there. And we see the results of this every day in our lives. Eventually, in Genesis 6, it says, The earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. Creation itself is coming undone as communion turned into consuming. We're eating one another and creation to preserve ourselves. And I think we know these kinds of disruptions to communion, right? We're not sure how to make our marriage work anymore. We try, but we can't seem to connect anymore. There's so many years of misunderstandings that communion seems impossible. We don't know how to be close to our kids now that they're a little older. We can't just cuddle them. There's longing for communion, but I don't know how to get it. I don't know what's going on. We're lonely, but we're not sure how to make friends. We don't know how to be vulnerable with others to say, I'm, I'm lonely and I want a friend. Will you be my friend? Right? Like kids know how to do this. Adults don't know how to ask, like, will you be my friend? I need a friend. Right? We can kind of giggle about it, but it's, it's painful being lonely. We're not sure how to get closer to the friends that we do have. They don't seem interested in getting closer. But God, the good news is God didn't abandon us as a failed experiment. God didn't say, well, that didn't work. I'll start over, right? I mean, the, in, a, in a sense, he started over with the flood. But that wasn't really a starting over. It was a, it was a renewal, which is what God does. We'll get more into that. But that's, what, that's how God saves the world. He doesn't scrap it and try again. He renews it by calling Abraham, calling a family, right? By calling Moses, by sending Jesus, by commissioning a church. That's how he saves the world. More on that later. I'm getting distracted. I'm distracting myself. Um, and ultimately, this is why we read John 1 today. You guys notice the parallels, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word. What's John doing? John's showing us, again, more on this Tuesday night, but John's showing us that in Christ, God is recreating the world. John's whole gospel is a creation narrative. John's whole gospel is a creation narrative. You've got... The Word became flesh at the beginning. Uh, we'll talk more about it on Tuesday night. But uh, his whole gospel is a creation narrative. Um, and essentially what John is saying is that the Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. What's he reestablishing? Communion. God has come to dwell with his people. That's the point. And in the incarnation, I can't say this enough, in the incarnation, God has permanently attached himself to his creation. That's a bad metaphor. He has permanently become his own creation. Jesus Christ will have a human body forever and ever. God has a body. He has, he has permanently joined himself with creation and said, I'm going to be with you despite your best attempts to get away from me. We're going to be together because this is what you need. He restores communion. That's what he's doing in the Gospel of John. And then, of course, Revelation 21, there's this vision of the future of restored heavens and earth, the holy city like a beautiful bride, 
dressed for her husband, communion language, that's what marriage is all about. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God will have realized his goal for all of creation, which is communion. Today we proclaim this good news, that from the beginning, the God who is love has been creating the world as a temple where we can be at home together with him, in communion with him, in communion with one another, and in communion with all things. Though we are alienated and disconnected in Christ, God has permanently joined himself to his creation. Communion has been restored through the Spirit. Here it is. God meets us right where we really are. He doesn't meet us somewhere else. He meets you in your life. He meets you in your body. He meets you in your thoughts and in your emotions right where you are, no matter if those thoughts or emotions are good or bad, whatever they are. God has secured himself to you, and he's available to you right where you really are. That's the good news of creation. That creation's God's home, not in some sort of expansive way, like we got to go to the top of the mountain to meet with him. No, creation is God's home, and you're creation. You've got flesh and blood. You're God's home. That's where he lives. He's completely accessible to you. All right. Amen? Does that feel like good news? All right. Let's respond. Um, Here's how I'm noticing this uh, show up in my life. Um, You know, if God God meets us right where we really are, right in our actual life. Um, For me, it's uh, letting others be where they're at and meeting them in that place, meeting God in that place of acceptance of others. Let me explain. Um, I think the leftovers, that show I talked about earlier, I think it haunted me in the way it did because one of the things God is doing in my life right now is uh, showing me my need for connection with others, specifically with other people showing my, ne- my need for intimacy and connection uh, with others. And so one of the things I'm learning about myself is that um, the contract that I typically made in relationships out of fear, and again, I didn't do this intentionally, none of us do, but the contract I had made with most people in my relationships was that I'm going to show up as useful and competent, and that will sort of earn me a, a place with you. You'll love me, You'll accept me. I can belong, in, and we can be in communion if I show up as useful and competent. Specifically, if I can see, and this is, you know, uh, this is what I learned how to do, is I can see what's wrong with a situation or with a person, and I can give you advice on how to fix it. Does that sound familiar, Nancy? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Nancy and I have a lot in common. Um, so I can see what's wrong, and I can give you advice on how to fix it. And I, I thought, this is, this is how I can achieve communion if I show up in this way, use my strengths. Now, I, I can't get into why this is all unraveling for me, but it is. And it's kind of sh- shocking and difficult <laughs> because I have to stop playing this game. I have to stop showing up in this way, right? And so for me, the call is to receive people, especially those that I love, just as they are. I think especially people I care a lot about, I want to see them grow. I want to see them thrive. My strategy for that has been, let me give you some advice on how to grow and thrive. Um, But the shocking thing to me is that it didn't work. (laughs) People resented my advice. Go figure. So anyway, 
what I'm learning is, is acceptance. And so Deb and I, uh, I'm learning, especially with my wife right now. We were on a walk the other day. So I know this, right? I, I've, I've accepted that this is true. This is what God is doing in my life. I am learning how to receive and accept people right where they are and just trust communion. Communion is going to be there. I don't have to be useful or helpful to you. I can just listen to you. <sighs> okay, I know it. All right, we're going for a walk. <clears throat> and I'm doing pretty good for, the most, for most of the walk. Right? Because Deb's sharing some things that were hard for her that day. It's like, okay, I, yeah, I get that. Ah, I can imagine how that would feel. It's good. Yeah, I got it. A hundred feet from the, from the house when we got back, I shifted into advice. I didn't really even notice it happen. But I'm starting to notice it, it's feels, it hits me right here in my gut. And I'm like, I need to push. Right? It feels like a, mm, I'm going to push somewhere. And I did it. I thought I was being really nice about it. But it completely, immediately disrupted communion. I was frustrated that she didn't want my advice. It's good advice. She was frustrated that I wasn't listening to her. We kind of walked into the house not talking to each other. I had to get on a call, and so I sat down on my call. Actually, the guys on that call helped me process. That was my kairos for the call. This is a DNA group thing. This is our discipleship. That was my kairos on the call. And um, what I'm learning to do is just, I just, I just repent, which basically means, honey, I'm sorry. I'm really, I'm trying, uh, but it's really hard for me, and uh, I really want to connect with you. I want to be in communion with you. I want to learn how this works. Please forgive me. That's all I got to do. So that's what I did. So that's how I'm responding to this. What is it, what is it for you? Where, is it, where do you need to learn that, to trust that God is restoring communion? Where do you need to believe that God is still present and at work in the temple of his presence? Maybe you realize this. I perform for others, and I try to get belonging and communion by impressing them, by impressing you, showing you my competence, showing you how awesome I am. Maybe, maybe you try to impress them with your humor. Maybe you try to achieve it by being helpful. Maybe you try to achieve it by not being a problem. Yeah? Maybe you try to achieve it by impressing them with your intelligence or your artistic ability or your uniqueness. But those are all ways that we use others as resources to consume. We're attempting to, we're attempting to gain something from them that has been given as a gift. Communion. It's been given as a gift. And so <clears throat> I just invite you to think about that. Where do you need to trust God has already provided communion? We receive it. We don't achieve it. We consent to communion because it's true. God has restored it. It's available. It's right here. We consent to it. We don't uh, consume it. It's more about stopping our efforts than ramping them up. It's about opening our hands instead of keeping our fists clenched. So you can respond today in prayer, um, out loud right now, and uh, the prayer in your booklet is wrong for the second week in a row. I forgot to change it in the booklet. I apologize. Uh, so we're going to put the actual prayer up uh, there. That's the actual prayer of response today. Um, you, later, we're going to confess the creed Right? You can respond there. The confession of sin, that's response to this good news. Passing of the peace, that's all about communion. Right? So really do it. Don't just make it a, like a meet and greet. No, really. Receive peace. Give peace. Whatever that looks like. Yeah? Uh, later we're going to come to this table and you're going to be offered bread and wine. Receive it as a gift. Someone will be available to pray for you if you have a prayer need. 
for healing or something like that. Go get prayer. Let somebody touch you and intercede on your behalf and look into your eyes and see you. We were created for this. We were created for this.